I think that's what art is often. It's like identifying something that you feel like you should pay attention to and then just seeing where that goes and giving it the space to uh, develop. process piece, conversations about the work behind the work with diverse artists from all over the globe. My name is Ruby Josephine Smith, and not only am I the creator and host of this podcast, I am a choreographer and contemporary dance artist based in Tangier, Morocco. This is a podcast in process about process. I am not only fascinated by the creative process itself, but how to have better and more meaningful conversations about it. Join me in digging deep into what it is that drives a person to make art. Hello there. So at the time that this episode comes out, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. What a crazy moment of life. Process has taken on a whole new meaning of processing for now. Internal processing in self-isolation and communal processing in terms of what the world could look like going forward. Through all of this, though, and throughout history within times of global crisis, art has always prevailed and creativity remains a constant. So even though this conversation was recorded before the pandemic was official, its themes and wisdom are still relevant and I believe important, whether you take it as inspiration or distraction for today. I think it's all needed. Before I dive more into the content of this episode, just a quick reminder that most creative processes are unsustainable without some kind of communal support. This podcast as a process is no different. I'm so grateful to you for listening, and I would be so grateful if you would like to support Process Peace. You can contribute to my Buy Me A Coffee page at buymeacoffee.com slash rubyjoe. All of these metaphorical cups of coffee go directly to the overhead costs of producing this podcast and my newsletter on a regular basis. You can also simply show your support by rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing this podcast on social media. Every little thing counts, and I appreciate it all so much. Thank you. It's funny, with all of this going on, I actually think this is a pretty timely conversation. And if you're listening post-pandemic, it's all still relevant. But really, who better to bring us wisdom right now than the maker of a creative venture titled The Women's Wisdom Project? Anna Bronis is a writer, artist, and producer living in the Pacific Northwest of the USA. She is the author of several books, including Fika, The Art of the Swedish Coffee Break, and Live Legom, Balanced Living the Swedish Way. She is the founder and publisher of Comestible, a zine about food, and her illustrations are featured in the new edition of the iconic cookbook, The Joy of Cooking. She also works as a paper cut artist, hand cutting illustrations from single pieces of paper, which is the medium she used in her Women's Wisdom Project, featuring a hundred paper cuts of influential women accompanied with quotes and research on each one. We talked the day before the official opening exhibition of this project, after the monumental completion of the 100th image. You can see this project and more of her work on her website, anabronis.com, and her Instagram, which is also her name. Not only do we talk in detail about the idea behind this project that drew me into her work, but we also get deep into cultural and societal values of work and productivity, how Anna, with her varying interests, decides what is work and what isn't, and when to say yes or no to a new opportunity. We also talk about enjoying what she dubs the marination phase of the creative process, 
And something that we can all relate to lately, I think, how limitations and restrictions can actually enhance the artistic process instead of hindering it. For any of you staying at home in quarantine right now, like myself, and wanting to get crafty, I also got very inspired by listening back to her answer to my first question about her creative memories and her description of a village she built as a child out of recycled materials. Anna has such a down-to-earth, easy energy that flows through this conversation, and I absolutely love getting to know her and her work on a deeper level. Just as a disclaimer also, Anna lives in the country, and as you know, I'm in Morocco, so the Wi-Fi was a little bit spotty on this conversation, and the audio does get distorted in a couple moments, but that distortion never lasts long, and I don't think, I mean, I hope that it doesn't distract from the rich content of her words. So please enjoy this conversation with Anna Bronis. Welcome, Anna, to Process Peace. I am so happy to have you here. Thank you for making time for this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, so I always like to dive into these conversations in the same place. And before we get into your current work, go back into your creative history. And I'd like to know, what is your first memory of creating something? Oh, that's <laughs> a great question. <laughs> I um, Well... There's a couple of things that pop to mind. One, I think in general, I don't, I have like a, just a general childhood ongoing memory of creativity. Um, mm. Just because I grew up in a household, my mom's an artist, she's a weaver and does lots of other yeah. things. But I just grew up in a household where we were always working on sort of art projects all the time. Um, and there were just a variety of art supplies, um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, just sort of a constant flow of, of that type of a thing. So I was always making stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a very specific memory of one year for Christmas. Um, my parents built our house. And so my dad wow. um, had a lot of, um, you know, tools for building like table saw and um, all kinds of tools to make things. Um, my mother being the textile artist and my father like working in in wood and that kind of a thing but Mm -hmm. um so one Christmas I was very young I was probably like five or six I don't know how I got this idea but I really wanted to make a village for my mom and so my dad helped me cut these like silhouettes of people and houses out of just like two by fours um and I put them in I had uh one of those like wooden apple crates you know, that like the old ones that fruit used to come in. Right, and I yeah. and I lined it, I think I lined it with um, like one of those like polyester quilt battings, like kind of gross, <laughs> like so, but just so it looked yeah. white, so it looked like snow on the bottom. And then I kind of positioned these things in and like for all the people, I had taken fabric scraps and like put them around the... Um, around them to have like little clothes or if I didn't have a fabric scrap I like drew on like a t-shirt with a crayon um and I put these things in this box and I don't you know I just have this memory of wanting to make this village for my mother and I don't really have Mm. a memory like how or why that came to be um but my mom my mom still has a couple of the I don't think the box with like that fake polyester <laughs> yeah that might have just adding snow yeah I don't think that that's still there but she definitely still has a couple of like the people and one of them mm-hmm. I think it's like I drew on like a, a blue top and then I had um yeah taped this like 
little piece of fabric on the back to like that was kind of in like a pocket shape so it looked like a little backpack um oh anyway, I love yeah. that <laughs> so oh I love those that. details yeah. that's amazing that that came it's, back to you so vividly yeah well it's funny because I when you asked that question I was like I don't really know but it, it is funny to then just think back to making that because again I have mm -hmm. it's so interesting to think like as a kid where I would have gotten the sort of idea to do that <laughs> like, right why? and it's so interesting that you decided to make it specifically for your mother as well yeah well I definitely grew up in a house where um you know we like I mean the joke now is like oh well, you could make that I mean we always like I think growing up I wasn't really <laughs> in I was always like sort of expected, not I won't say required, but it was kind of an expectation that I would make people gifts or cards. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly yeah. never really bought uh, things to give away. And I used to, when I, I do remember when I was younger, I used to, for the family, I would make a calendar. So I would have 12 pieces of paper and I would like draw pictures and draw the grid for the calendar. And then my mom would help me <laughs> to go and make like color copies. And then, you know, yeah. like, punch a hole in the top and make them and like give those out. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so anti-consumerism. It's great. Yeah. We need more of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm interested in that because I mean, I also grew up, both of my parents are artists and I always had the sense that I would be doing something creative with my life. And I, I read that you grew up, that your mom was an artist and that your dad was a mountaineer. Um, and both of those really seem to play a part in your current work. And so I'm wondering, did you already have a sense from an early age that this was going to be a part of your career and your life's work, we could say? Um, I don't know. You know, that's actually something I've been thinking about recently, because I think I mm -hmm. always felt a draw to like creative focused work. But I think mm -hmm. I never, I think growing up in a house and like doing well in school, I mean, sort of always like challenged to go the traditional routes certainly mm -hmm. not but my parents never put any expectations on me about what I should or shouldn't be doing but looking back on it I almost think there was no way of getting out of having this sort of like creative <laughs> uh path um yeah. that maybe I got off of it for a while but ultimately I just came back to it because it felt kind of like that's what I was supposed to be doing um yeah it's like coming and back so, home almost. Yeah. Yeah. And so I never, you know, it's funny because people always ask like, what do you want to be when you were little? And I don't, I don't really have memories of like concrete professions. I definitely really liked writing. I've always liked mm -hmm. writing from a young age. I'm definitely, we have like a few stories that I like wrote when I was really little that my mom, nice. you know, at the time like laminated and kept. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, <laughs> of course. Okay. Uh, I just never really felt like there was something tangible. And I even remember writing, um, like when you apply to university you have to write those like essays about what you want to be or I don't know you know you're always supposed right. to like identify what it is you want to do I specifically remember with that that I always would try to like kind of make up a job description that involved <laughs> like international relations and maybe nonprofit work and maybe some journalism and communication hybrid yeah. thing. like I was always trying to like I didn't know what it was that I wanted to be, but I knew kind of what it felt like. And now I don't, hmm. um, having having gone to school for international relations and sort of thinking I'd be on that path for a while, I, I certainly have ended up somewhere pretty far removed from that. But then when I think back in terms of where my headspace was when I was younger, I guess it makes sense where I'm at too. 
Yeah, it does yeah. because you 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 don't have a career that fits into a box or is something that you I think could predict from an early age. From no. at least from what it looks like from what I've seen is that you've taken these interests that you have and you have so many varying interests. I mean, there's food, there's coffee, bicycles, the outdoors, food in the outdoors, food and bicycles. <laughs> and and I love how you've brought all of these interests together to form this kind of life work I don't even know if you can call it like a career because it's not one specific path <laughs> <laughs> but no no I mean not you can't call no, it a career no, because I, it is I, your career laughing. you know what I mean no no <laughs> I'm just laughing because I yeah. yeah yes yeah no you know I think it's um I mean one obviously this time and period in the grand scheme of history obviously facilitates things like that yes um, definitely you know there it's easier to have a hybrid profession so to say Mm -hmm. these days um just because we just have different tools available to us um and the marketplace looks very different uh I also think that I have a personality that I I think at this point I would probably have a difficult time fitting in um at like a traditional kind of nine to five do one thing position I think if I were gonna like yeah I think if I were gonna I think if I were gonna move into you know, a more traditional um, role, it would have to be something that was multifaceted within that structure. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I think I have a lot of interest, but you know, I also sometimes think it's so interesting how we view work and obviously we've right. attached so much um, importance to work, but also so much self value in work. Yeah. And, you know, it's like when we ask people what they do, we mean, what do you do for money? And of course, it's certainly yes. very interesting to know what people do for work. But I think because of that, um, then like when someone like me has a job that sort of relates to a variety of interests, you're like, oh, wow, I do a lot of things. And I'm like, yeah, but we're all right. really multifaceted people. It's just that usually when it comes to work, we have been forced to like choose one thing. Right. You know, we're not like single topic people right like we all have lots of things that we're interested in I just think that the structure that we exist within doesn't really provide space for exploring that all the time definitely yeah and I think we're actually really lucky as artists to be able to express ourselves that way and be able to allow ourselves to have that multifacetedness and yeah, and I'm curious about that with all of your interests. And I mean, you've pursued a lot of them through different routes and through a lot of the books that you've written. But I'm curious about this idea of um, kind of your personal interests versus what is work for you. And do you make a big distinction between them? And how do you kind of decide what is work and what is not for yourself? <laughs> uh, that's a great question uh, that I don't necessarily have an answer for. That's okay. Um, answer and yeah, process I mean, is good. Yeah, I, I think... I think part of it is that if you start to do, uh, if you start to work for yourself or you start to do freelance work that is loosely based upon what you're interested in, which mm-hmm. often if you're pursuing that type of work, you kind of have made a choice of like checking out of the conventional stuff to do something mm-hmm. that you sort of are, your interests or values are more aligned with. So obviously mm-hmm. you kind of have already made a decision to be there. But I think, um, you know, when you do that, it then, because you're in a space often where you don't have a sense of like job security. So you're constantly kind of seeking out different things. So because Mm -hmm. I have a lot of interests, I end up saying yes to a lot of things that maybe don't all fall into the same category, 
but to right. me they kind of all make sense because there's like a common thread of interest so i think there's a lot of stuff that i've done because i'm interested in it and then it becomes mm-hmm. work um i will say that somebody just asked me the other day it was a friend of mine who's an artist and wanting to go full time with that she was just kind of asking for tips and i said well you know at the get go i wouldn't jump off and try to make 100% of your income based on the thing that you're wanting to create i was like right. you know fi- figure out a percentage that works for you but let's say it's 50-50 figure out like 50% of your time goes to x so whether that's like maybe you're doing some consulting or maybe you're doing so, like i do some like marketing and pr work and that becomes like more of a regular thing um that is just dependable and then the other amount of time can then be devoted to other stuff and you don't feel so creatively drained that you don't have creative energy to give to your other things but right. i think that we do you know because we attach so much value to work and so much of our sort of personal identity is wrapped up into work i mean i think we do mm-hmm. live in this culture of you know pursue your passion and right. i i don't actually really agree with that <laughs> i mean i think it's a really, <laughs> oh, really? powerful I think it's really powerful to be able to earn money by doing something that you feel strongly about and care about. Um yeah. however, it's also really important to do things that you feel strongly and care about that are done just because they make you happy. We're just constantly trying to attach a dollar value to everything that we do. And mm. I always joke that, you know, when people it's like the biggest compliment that people can give in our culture. when you you know makes it whether it's in painting or whatever feel like oh you can sell that is kind right. of like number one um thing it's sort of like right it's what validates your work yeah, yeah and it's almost, and it's like that's so interesting isn't it because it's like yeah maybe you made something and maybe you could sell it but what is the value in creating that work to begin with yeah. and i think that's where people who do some commercial art you know commercial art is so different um yes, and it's kind of a whole different ball game in terms of production and and thinking about making work and i think you just have to um you know at the end of the day we need to make money and pay our rent and put a house you know like put a roof over our heads and put food on right. the table and so i think the illusion that you're always going to like love everything that you do to make that happen um you know it's like it's it's a privilege to be able to even like choose these things. It's true. I'm just I wanted to backtrack a little bit to one thing you said early in that which is um the way you say yes and no to things is that you have kind of a defining thread or something that connects for you and I'm wondering if you could maybe describe that and what that is for yourself. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm one of those people who struggles a lot with um saying yes too much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I've gone through those think, phases myself. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's particularly hard when you are in a freelance work scenario because often you want to be able to say yes to a lot of things because you you know some it's like feast or famine often is how a lot of right. like friends are in that space talk about. It's like either there's a lot of work and you've said yes to a lot of things and you're overwhelmed or you're in that space of a lull where you're like, "Oh my mm-hmm. god, I don't have anything and what am I going to do?" Why um, is it always so, like this? I have the yeah, same Yeah, I don't thing. know. It's I think I you know honestly I think it's just a cyclical it's the cyclical nature of things and you just yes. have to embrace it. that's how it's always going to be <laughs> instead yep, of like so. finding some solution to it yeah but I I do think that um yeah for me I don't know I think I've said yes to enough things uh in the past that then I don't really end up um 
one, they don't feel kind of like creatively sustaining. And two, they don't really feel like they're helping me to get in any specific direction. And then three, maybe mm -hmm. they don't pay well. And I think it's sort of, mm -hmm. for me, it's not like I actually write this out or have this like written down somewhere, but I think subconsciously I'm always thinking about like, there's a few different categories that things have to fit mm -hmm. into. Like either, either it's a thing that you really, really enjoy doing. That's great. It might be right. a thing that feels like it's a step in the right direction of a few of, you know, maybe a couple of professional goals you have or that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Or third, like the money category. Like maybe it pays well and you don't love it, but it's short term and then that facilitates something else. So right. I think there are those sort of um, guiding points. And I, and I think it's really difficult when you talk to artists who are making a living off of their work because often we're doing things that we don't really want to be doing, but it like mm -hmm. helps to facilitate something else. Right, um, but it takes so much I creative energy. Yeah, and I, but you know, I think it's something that is really important to be transparent about because again, in this sort of like cult of pursue your passion, like the reality of what that looks like, I think is mm -hmm. different than what we romanticize it to be. Absolutely. I remember seeing somewhere once, I, I wish I could remember where, but this kind of chart that was showing um, the different benefits creatives get from working on a certain project. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were things like um, connections and, of course, monetary gain mm -hmm. and, um, you know, personal development. And it it was arranged in a way so that the more you have overlapping, the more you should say yes. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, it was, I, I'll try to find that. But I think that's exactly what you're saying is you have to just kind of balance and weigh um, how much energy you're willing to give into it and what comes to mind when you say that because I've seen a few sort of similar things but I think right. the artist um, Lisa Congdon who's an illustrator based in Portland um, she has a yes, pie chart I and I actually think that hers was that might be what I'm thinking of actually yeah I I from memory I think she was using it in like a social media context but I think that it mm -hmm. might have been made in just a work context in general but it was exactly that sort of like your values yeah. and your you know is it promoting your work is it and you sort of have to find this sweet spot but the thing yeah. is, is like that may change from day to day too so what you feel good about today and what feels like the right thing to be doing like five months from now may entirely shift yes exactly you have to be willing to go with the flow of it yeah yeah. And I think yeah. that that is the, that is the thing too, when you, and obviously there's never really job security, quote unquote, because obviously right. anything can happen at any time. But I think that when you work for yourself um, and in a creative related profession, I think that you, you sort of constantly are having to find that middle line. Whereas I think mm -hmm. when you are in sort of a more conventional work environment, you may feel out of balance, but you also aren't like guiding the ship. <laughs> right. So yeah. if you feel out of balance, it's kind of like, well, I'm just going to work on what makes me feel good, but I right. don't, I'm not really in control of the rest. And when you work for yourself, it's like, well, I'm in control of the ship and the ship is about to run into an iceberg. So Right. You have less of a safety you know? <laughs> for yourself. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Have you had some moments like that? The, the kind of iceberg moments we could call them? Oh, I mean, I feel like I have this pretty regularly. Really? <laughs> no, I don't, you know, it's just, I think it, it's with that ebb and flow stuff, right? It's like, yeah. it all, it, it feels kind of, it feels like a constant roller coaster because you either Absolutely. feel like really up or you feel really down. Um, mm -hmm. And that, yeah, I think that just feels difficult. And I, you know, I think it's uh, important to just acknowledge that doing what you enjoy doing and working for yourself sometimes mm -hmm. can be great and sometimes are not so great. And you make compromises based off of that. 
and you yeah, compromise absolutely. and you say, well, I'm going to make less because I'm doing this thing that I want to be doing and I have control over my schedule or, you know, whatever your list of important things is. But um, right. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Is there something that you do that makes you feel the most creative? I don't know. You know, I really enjoy writing. And when I haven't been mm-hmm. writing, I always miss it a lot. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I think with a lot of what I do, I think it's actually in working on all of it and all of its multifacets that makes me feel creative because it feels like having that energy to sort of pursue different ideas in different mediums like that feels important Mm -hmm. um but I definitely feel I mean I think just in general like you know I certainly feel most creative when I am you know well rested low stress levels have gotten outside enough like I mean it's sort of the usual stuff right so I actually don't yeah I'm not sure if there's like a medium that always feels like the most creative. I think it's more of a, it's more of a mental state that then is applied to like whatever it is that I'm working on. If that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. Um, How would you define creativity actually? Mm. Well, I mean, you know, I think like the traditional sort of understanding of creativity is sort of a, a, an innovative and unique uh, way of, of thinking about something. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, often when we think of creativity, sort of we immediately think of art. You know, it's like ask somebody like, right. oh, what do you, you know, like, who's a creative person that you know? And they sort of immediately will come up with someone who paints or draws. <laughs> of course. <laughs> However, not- there is this whole new, like, creative business world. And so I'm always curious yeah. about this question because That's that true. comes up so often now. Yeah. Well, you know, I would argue that, like, we all are creative, right? And creativity mm-hmm. is applied in a variety of ways. So at its base level, I think when we say creativity, what we mean is creative thinking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is really taking item A and item B and coming up with like a new and different way to connect the two. Most work requires creativity on some Theoretically, level. Theoretically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what about then adding the layer of being an artist? Have you ever grappled with calling yourself an artist or defining yourself as an artist? Or was that always kind of within you from your mother's influence? Oh, I mean, I struggle with what to call myself all the time. But then at some uh, at some point, I just was like, it's just easier if I just say like, I'm a writer and an artist, and then I don't mm-hmm. have to like keep talking about it. <laughs> it's like, is it because you make money from that thing? Is it because you mm-hmm. do that thing regularly? I mean, I think it's because you do that thing regularly. Uh, we also live in a society that loves definitions, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, then I, and then, then I think because of it, then we're always comparing ourselves to other people that define themselves by that term. And then mm-hmm. we decide like, oh, but I'm not good enough. To, and, you know, I think all of that is, I mean, it's, it just kind of messes with your brain a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually like why I like to ask people about that, because I like to hear what your definition of that is. Mm. Um, and maybe someone yeah. else will resonate with that and maybe they won't. And that's okay. Yeah. I think now that I think about it, I've always had like artistic tendencies. To me, being an artist is looking through your eyes and emotions mm-hmm. and asking questions. So to me, mm-hmm. it's more of like, again, it's more of a, it's a mentality that you have like a way of seeing the world more than how you actually put that out there. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I mean, I, yeah, it took me a long time to even put that like in bios I was like uh, and then I was like it's just easier so yeah. I'm gonna stop thinking about it. 
I wanted to talk about your writing a little bit, and I'm curious um, if you have kind of a regular writing practice, and then what your process of writing a book actually looks like, because you've written several books, um, cookbooks and guidebooks and all sorts of things like that. So I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about your process with that. Yeah, I mean, I think my regular writing practice is sending emails. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it for all of us? Uh, Yeah, totally. No, no, I actually, I do not have a regular writing practice where I like sit Mm -hmm. down. um, But that being said, I do, there are things that I have kind of put into place that forced me to write regularly. So like I do, I send out a monthly newsletter. Uh, mm-hmm. I also, um, I also have a, a zine that's kind of about food that I publish. And I also have a website for that. And I right, do yeah. a, I do a weekly newsletter on Fridays for that. And then I also try to write two blog posts for that website, um, a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are that's things that sort of already, like, yeah, those are things that like force me to or I did not force is the wrong word because I enjoy doing them, but they're sort of just like set up deadlines and regular things that keep me accountable for doing that stuff. Yes. So while that doesn't really feel like creative writing time for me, it feels more like just the maintenance. You know, it's like when you work out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like if you're sort of regularly, of practice, yeah. yeah, like you're regularly practicing something, it's sort of more about that than it is for, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember. And, you know, I think it's like really important to acknowledge that all of us work and produce differently. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, our processes, our, pro- our processes, is that the plural? Our pro- processes. Processes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I should know pro- that. This is called process piece. <laughs> <laughs> so the process for each of us looks different. And I remember watching... Um, uh, an interview that Cheryl Strayed had done. I don't remember who was interviewing mm. her, but she she had been asked sort of like, what's your writing process? And, you know, she basically said, I don't sit down every day and write. Um, when I like write a book, it's usually pretty intense for a chunk mm-hmm. of time. Um, but just because I don't sit down and, you know, write half an hour, that doesn't make me doesn't not make me a writer um it's just that that writing process is very different now some people sit down every day and are really diligent and there's plenty of research to show that like having that kind of ritual and commitment is actually Mm -hmm. pretty important so I mean I think it is important to have some type of ritual and practice but just because you know just because Mm -hmm. you don't sit down and every day and do the thing doesn't mean that you're not that thing (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, well, because you are showing your Women's Wisdom Project, is it tomorrow in a couple of days? Yeah, it opens the opening. Tomorrow. Yeah, okay. I wanted to talk about that. Of course, congratulations. Thank it's you. amazing that we're talking right around the opening. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that's actually how I originally found you. I think I saw one of your paper cuts. I don't know if it was on Instagram or a blog or a newsletter or something, yeah. but I saw it and just fell in love with it and have oh, been following you. for quite a while now. Um, and I saw you started the project in 2018. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you first, can you just describe um, what the project is a little bit and maybe the idea behind it? Yeah. So yeah, at the beginning of 2018, I, um, culmination of a few different things, but I, so Kickstarter does this campaign every January called make 100 and the whole challenge Mm. is to sort of, you can take that to mean what you want, but usually it involves like making a hundred of something. Um, And I kind of love that idea as a prompt. Uh, And so at the time I had, um, 
there were a few things that it had. So I just read this book called Broad Strokes, um, which is by a writer named Bridget Quinn. And it's about 15 different female artists throughout history. Mm, um, really cool title. book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just read that book. And then also I had just been following, um, there's an account on Instagram called Unsung Heroines. Um, it's a woman mm. named Molly who had started that account actually to just document kind of like untold stories of women in sports um, and did a book with that, but then expanded that to sort of be like all kinds of stories. Um, so I've been following her work. And then I also at around that time had started reading um, Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex because I decided mm. that I like was just lacking in my own like knowledge of feminist history and theory. And so I just sort of, just, I was like, okay, I'm just going to yeah. like read her books and see where that goes. Anyway, so all cool. of those things, um, this, yeah, again, it's like, it's funny when you ask people like what inspired something, because at the end of the day, it's usually the culmination of like 10 different things yeah. at this time. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. And it's like, yeah. these, I don't know about you, but it's, for me, I often feel like it's these kind of signs and, you know, this, yep. the same topic keeps coming up yep. over and over and finally, yeah. goes, oh, wait, I should really be doing something about this yeah. topic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so anyways, so all of that to say that then, I don't know, I just decided to make this portrait of um, Shirley Chisholm, one of the um, U.S. Congresswoman who actually mm. ran for president um, in 1972. And then I had also done uh, Florence Joyner, Flojo, the the runner, mm -hmm. yeah, the American track athlete. That was thanks to because um, I had reached out to that woman Molly who ran that Unsung Heroines account, and I was like, oh, like maybe I could do some paper cuts, like some art inspired by some of the stories you've done. Mm, anyway, so then I had made two and then because of that broad strokes book, I was really inspired by Louise Bourgeois, the French mm -hmm. artist. Um, yeah, so I she's amazing. Her. Yeah. So it's like, so I've done a few. So by this point, and then, I don't know. So I did like four or five, just kind of just started making them. And then, mm -hmm. and then this make 100 thing popped up and I was like, oh, I know I'll commit to doing a hundred. That seems like a great oh. idea. Which, <laughs> worst idea ever no I'm just kidding but uh, well no I just I but I'm the kind of person that just I'm like yeah I'm gonna do that without really thinking it through so anyway so I did this Kickstarter yeah. campaign and I was like okay I'm gonna do a hundred women um without really thinking through what it would entail to make a hundred different paper cut portraits and so I should say that all of these paper cut portraits also include quotes from the women right so like yeah. a quote incorporated into the portrait yeah, so I launched that and funded it. And then, you know, I think crowd I've done some crowdfunding for other things before. And I think the one thing that's great about crowdfunding is, one, it gets you, like, a little bit of money if you need that. And, two, mm -hmm. it holds you accountable. And I will say that right. had I not crowdfunded it, honestly, I think I probably would have stopped at around 50. Because oh, wow. I, it, just, it just got to a point where it felt so overwhelming. And I just, yeah, I just think I would have burnt it. I mean, I did burn out on it, but then was like yeah. forced to push through because I said I was going to do this thing. And so I think like that's important. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes it's good to have that external motivation. Yeah, incentive. yeah. But you know, it's like literally all of my friends, I just keep saying like, oh, but a, a, I, I didn't realize like a hundred is so many. And everyone's like, you're crazy. Of course, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Why didn't you think of that? But you know, it's like, but then a hundred is, it's so minuscule in comparison to the amount of like, 
amazing stories about women, right. both historically and today, and like just the amount of voices that are erased out of history. So Absolutely. it's like now I've done a hundred and I wanted, I, well, I don't actually want to do a hundred more, but you know, it's like, right. it, it no, feels like there's so much more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I also got, you know, it also got a little bit difficult because I um, was trying to be really conscious about rights and stuff and like which yeah. quotes I was using. And so, you know, what took longer than the physically making of the paper cuts was just kind of like all of the research and thought process around yeah. all of them. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so I finished 100 and then they got accepted into a show, all 100. So that's what's opening tomorrow. Um, So exciting. Yeah. So, so that is exciting. Um, It feels like a big, feels like a big deal, I guess. (laughs) It is. It is a really big deal. (laughs) How did you go about choosing the women? What was that process like? I mean, you know, I didn't really have like a sense I didn't really have a thing that I was like, okay, they have to be from this country. They have to have this. I just sort of was like, anytime a woman came across my radar or I thought of a woman who I was kind of inspired by, um, then I would try to go and find a quote. Or maybe I came across a story of a woman who I was like, that's really interesting. I wonder if I can find a quote. Or maybe I came across a quote that I was like, that's really interesting. Um, mm. Ultimately, I think it's like, I think when I originally started, I was kind of thinking of if you could gather these historical women in a room, like what are the tidbits of wisdom you could pull out of them? And what are these sort of like nuggets that they could share with you? I don't know. I mean, I just have this enormous Google Doc with lots of quotes and lots of women's names in Amazing. it, basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how were you able to stay motivated during the times of burnout with this project? Because two years is a really long time to consistently work on one thing. Yeah, I mean, I actually have no good answer for that. I will say I didn't, there were times when I would go a couple of months without doing one, um, which is also Mm -hmm. then why it took a long time. And also why in the last three months, you know, I basically probably made like 25, I think, which is a lot Mm -hmm. to sort of do at the end. So there was like a lot of work at the end, um, which I probably could have done a better job of managing, but that's fine. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I... I will say I do think that's where that accountability thing comes in because I, I think that had I just decided to do it on my own, I wouldn't have finished a hundred by now at least just because mm-hmm. I, it's like I haven't even allowed myself to really have brain space for other things because anytime something has kind of popped up, it's like, oh, here's a potentially interesting idea. I'm like, you can't work on that right now because you have to finish this other thing. Wow. Um, so this has been your only project for the past two years? No, not at all. Um, okay. <laughs> but it's been, say. it's been kind of, no, no, no. But it's been kind of like the ongoing, um, yeah. the ongoing project in that time. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so I, and I've certainly been doing other things as well. Uh, it's just like, that's been the one that's kind of been a constant thing. And now because I finished it, I feel like I have sort of freed up some energy or attention that can go elsewhere too. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It's such a process that you were doing. I mean, it's really about Mm -hmm. the process of it, of doing the research and finding the quotes. And I'm wondering, did you think about what the result would look like in the end or how you would showcase it? Or are you really inside of it the whole time? No. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I I don't think you have to at all, but no, no. I mean, I also think I just have a personality where I pretty rarely think about the end result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like I just like do the thing that I want to do. And then later I'm like, oh, I probably should have strategized on that a little bit more. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I wish I had more of that, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, I'm a real advocate 
for just doing the work, like whatever that yeah. is. Cause I think we can, we can overanalyze to the point of paralysis. You know, it's like analysis yes. paralysis is a term I once heard. And I love that idea that it's like, you can just over research, over plan, overthink something, and then you'll do mm -hmm. nothing. Um, and you know, better to do well, better. We shouldn't put like a value <laughs> judgment on it, but yeah. if you want to be making things, you just have to start. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Do you, th do you think you always had that mentality or is that something you've cultivated over time? Um, I think I probably always had a little bit of that mentality. I mean, I would say, I, uh, I don't know. I, I've always been kind of a go-getter for lack of a better word. Like I do just kind of like <laughs> jumping into things and kind of like just taking the ball and running with it, which, you know, is not always a good thing. It's, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to over romanticize that. It's like, that then yeah, means sure. that, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I would probably do well to like, think about what I want to be doing and like, what I want to have done in five years. And like, what are the kind of like stepping stones for getting there? I'm really bad mm -hmm. at that stuff. Um, sure. Or it's not bad, but I just, yeah, I just don't do that and don't force myself to do it. Yeah. And I think that that can sometimes, then you can get into these scenarios where you've like taken, like bitten off more than you can chew or you've said yes to too many things. Um, right. But I, but I certainly do have that kind of personality where I'm just happy to get in and do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, so after finishing this Women's Wisdom Project, do you have anything on deck next or is it kind of going to be a transition period or what does that look like now? Mm. Um, well, I'm going to take next week off. Uh, that's so good. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Just one um, week. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't currently have any big projects lined up. Um, I mean, I have some ideas that just need some time to percolate and maybe turn mm -hmm. into something. Um I have an idea for a project that I'm working on with a friend of mine. I, everything's sort of in like marination percolating mode right now. Mm -hmm. um, That's a good phase. Yeah, it is a good phase. And I think, I think that it's important to enjoy that phase because again, it gets back to our discussion about sort of like, uh, you know, work culture or attaching all value to work. You know, it's like we, mm -hmm by default, we then attach a lot of value to productivity. Um, yes. And I think definitely. the other compliment that people, <laughs> compliment quote unquote that people give besides artists, besides you could sell that is like, oh, you're so productive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so interesting, particularly in like a social media age too, where oh, I know really easy to, and you know, I, I'm at fault for that. I busted out a lot of work in the past few months. So it can look like I'm making, like currently when I put like I was looking at my Instagram feed the other day and I was like, oh my God, you've posted like all these intricate portraits, you know, like <laughs> regularly for the last three weeks. Like people, yeah. you were now just like feeding into this expectation that one can like produce <laughs> things in a 24 hour cycle, which is not true. Sure. But yeah. I do think that um, culturally we put the value on the production phase and the production of something. And I think like that it's important to be able to be present for that that marination process mm -hmm. and phase because that's a really enjoyable process. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, in terms of inspiration, you're, uh, there's always kind of like little signs that pop up. And the thing yeah. is, which I totally agree with, and the thing is, if you're not open to those, you know, sometimes it can take several years for those things to keep popping up. 
and yeah. and sometimes you don't do something with all of those signs until a few years later. But I think exactly. it's important to be able to challenge yourself to enjoy that moment because I think it's really, and I know for myself, it's really easy to be like, oh my God, I, I really, it would really be great to work on another book and have another book and I need another book deal, you know? And then it's like, slow down and what do you want to be doing? You know, so I think that that, yeah. Um, yeah, to just like challenge yourself to enjoy all phases of the process because usually we put value on like the last phase. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it is really a challenge. I also have to say as a side note, I love that you use the words marinate and percolate for that. Being someone who's written <laughs> cookbooks and coffee books, yeah. I just think that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, it, it's really a challenge. And it's interesting because, you know, our society puts that pressure on us to be productive. And I mm. have found it so difficult as an artist to detach myself from it and yeah. feel like I have to justify my time not only to myself, but to everyone else around mm -hmm. me who the others don't usually care as much as I do inside. Mm -hmm. And I don't yeah. Has it been difficult for you to detach from that? Or do you think you've kind of always had a sense of um, not putting too much value on productivity? No, I think it's really difficult for me to detach from it also because I am just a person who's like constantly doing stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that's just how I am. Even if I like tomorrow made so much money that I wouldn't have to think about like making money from work for the next year, I would still be doing a bunch of stuff all the time. That's just how I am. Um, yeah, I like making things and I like creating things. So I sort of am constantly growing. And so I think because of that, it's then, yeah, it's then difficult to detach from that, that sort of cycle of productivity. I mean, it's also mm -hmm. why I try really hard to you know, like hustle is such a popular word and gets thrown yes. around all the time. I've talked a lot about that with different people. Yeah. Yeah. I try really hard not to use it because I think it, it glorifies this doing stuff all the time and not taking time to slow down. And it's like, mm -hmm. it is really important to just sit on your couch and read a book or just sit on your couch and stare out the window. You know, it's like, we have mm -hmm. to make time for that stuff because that stuff is just as essential to the creative process. Um, I'm not so bad at doing it, so I'm not saying it's easy. Right. No, um, no, of course. But we have to, I think it's like we have to remind ourselves that there is a lot of value in that. Um, yeah. And that's it. None of us are perfect at it, but no, it's just a constant no. reminder and a constant practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any daily rituals that you use to enhance your creative life? Um. I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's cycles flow. of it. That's okay. Yeah, I, currently, I totally, currently yeah, I totally ebb and flow. I mean, the one constant is coffee for sure. Uh, no, I, I've had times where um, sometimes if I'm doing a lot of work that just requires a lot of sort of creative thinking, I will often um, do kind of like in the morning, just take a few minutes to, uh, I have just like a little travel uh, watercolor set and I like to just, mm -hmm paint on scraps of paper uh just like there's no expectation it's really just putting color down um and I will sometimes do that is I just kind of call it like a creative warm-up in the morning um mm, I like that yeah so so sometimes I'm sometimes I'll do that pretty regularly for a chunk of time and then like right now I haven't done that in a couple of weeks um but mm. that and then I do try to get outside every day somehow mm -hmm. um, I mean I, I don't just mean like stepping outside like obviously it's been time but, but I mean, like going on a walk or going on a run or a bike ride, I try to like 
I try to be pretty diligent about ensuring that that happens, just like moving my body. I think that that is really important, especially working from home and not having to commute. So that, so that's, um, that's probably another regular uh, everyday thing. Yeah. Um, when you talked about watercolor, that just reminded me that I had wanted to ask you before, um, why did you choose paper cuts? for the Women's Wisdom Project. Is that something you had already been playing with before? Or did it come with that yeah. project? No, no. I've no been I'm kind of going backwards, but I'm, but I'm curious yeah. about it. No, no. I'd been doing paper cut illustration before that. And I just thought that that would be like an interesting medium to explore that in. Um, cool. Yeah, I think of it as a very kind of traditional art form. Very crafty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, you know, it's pretty, um, it's a, I, I like to call it, a, it's a very democratized form of art because it really mm. just requires paper and a cutting tool of some sort, uh, which is, you know, a lot of art, a lot of mediums um, just require like a little bit more investment, so to say, in terms of materials. You know, like if you're going to, even watercolor, you know, like having to buy watercolor paper, like you could do a paper cut with regular old printer paper you know, and right. scissors. Um, and right. most people have, you know, most people have done some type of paper cutting in their lives, like whether that's making snowflakes um, or right. the yeah. other one people have often done is like, you know, you do the accordion fold in the paper and then cut the people and they're sort of like holding hands. Oh yeah, of course. It. Yeah. So most people have like cut paper at some point in their lives in the creative fashion. So I kind of like it for that. And then I also like it for just the, you know, I've always been drawn to, um, like lino cuts um, and wood because I really like just the stark contrast of it. I think I just graphically, I'm really drawn to that style. Uh, and I think working in paper cuts and then also now like I teach paper cut classes once in a while. And what I really appreciate about it is you're totally restricted in what you can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, and, and I think like in terms of creativity, you not, I am definitely a believer in like the more restrictions, the more creative you're forced to be. And when you have an absolutely blank slate, sometimes you just, it's almost like it's so difficult to be creative within that because you have all the options. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in paper cutting, I love it because you, one, you're just working with positive and negative space. Like that's all you have and you don't have any shading. You don't have, you, it's like, so you're either removing something or leaving it. Like that's it. Um, and then also you're keeping everything connected. So in all of my work, everything is like one piece of paper, which means that often you have to rethink maybe what you would have drawn. So like if you're doing a face, you know, if you're going to draw a face, you draw like eyes and a nose and eyebrows and a mouth. If you're going to cut that, you have to think about how those are all held together. So maybe like the line from the nose, like the bridge of the nose, maybe that comes up and attaches to the eyebrow. And then maybe like, you know, maybe the eyelashes from the eye come all the way up to the eyebrow, or maybe you add in like a circle for the cheek that like, a t you know, so you sort of, you're, you're challenged to do something differently than how you would have otherwise. Yeah, it's such an interesting way of thinking about space and shapes and everything. Mm. I'd love to take a class with you someday. I yeah. hope I get to. Oh, yeah. Well, the other thing that's fun, too, and I think, you know, somebody who works in like linoleum cuts would say the same thing. Normally, when we think of um, drawing or painting, we're adding in paper cutting or, or yeah, wood blocks or lino cuts, you're removing. So you're taking something away. And once you've taken it away, you can't add it back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because it's like once it's gone, it's gone. And I think there is this sort of like finality to paper cuts that um, 
I was talking to my husband about this because mm-hmm. I was saying that I there's there's such a different feel when I finish a paper cut than like finishing an article that I've written because with an article like or with a story I'm I love the process of like molding it like you sort of do a rough draft and then you're like tweaking things and you're like playing with the sentence and you're trying to find the right word and it's like in paper cutting there's this like once you've cut it it's done so there's this sort of <laughs> stark reality of what that means and if you mess up you mess up and either you adapt it or you have to start over and and that just feels so different um as a process very literally black and white in a lot of ways it's really interesting which is funny because i would and i've said this about the women's wisdom project it's like it's actually quite hilarious to do this type of a thing in black and white because the stories of these women are very nuanced (laughs) as are as are like quotes also I think are quite funny because we pull these quotes that often are either misquoted. So either they're like somebody else kind of tweaked what someone said or they're taken out of context because it was in reference to something that you don't have the reference to once you just have the quote. And so it's this very like simplistic way of thinking about the thing. And I think, you know, paper cuts being in this like black and white, it's like, it's just a very like stark reality that is not <laughs> representative of how we live our lives. Right. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I mean, the women yeah. are so diverse as well. And, mm-hmm. but it, I think it also kind of, it shows really, it, it's the connection between them all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would say that my takeaway from having worked on that project is just that, you know, the wisdom that we seek is usually passed to us by the people who we're closest to. So I think that we have a tendency to culturally um, seek out role models and kind of sometimes gurus or we sort of, we, we gravitate towards people who, um, you know, maybe are famous or have some kind of like Mm -hmm. cultural clout, but oftentimes the things that are like the most valuable and meaningful to us in terms of the wisdom that we carry with us are usually the things that um, were shared with us by, you know, a parent or a sibling or a friend. Uh, and, and it's like to remind ourselves that we all have something to offer those around us and those people around us also have something to offer us when we need it. What a beautiful takeaway. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just have, I have one last question, um, before we wrap this up, uh, what is one thing in particular currently that's inspiring your process or whatever phase you're in at this moment in your life? Well, we've been talking about like snippets of things, little signs that pop up for a long time. And um, I feel like the thing that keeps coming back to me is um, islands. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, Islands feels like this thing right now that um, whether that's physical islands or I don't know, metaphorical islands, there's something about Hmm. islands right now that is just like on my radar in some way that I, I'm just not sure what it means yet, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm that, well, I, I live in the Northwest and I live on the water. So this like meeting yeah. of um, like land and sea, like that edge point is just something I'm super drawn to visually. Um, mm-hmm. But then I think also uh, just in a more um, figurative sense as well. Uh, so I think that that sort of like nature is always, kind of a constant in terms of my like inspiration and process but currently that just feels like it has this power that I uh don't have the words currently to like 
vocalize that importance but it feels Mm. like it's there for a reason I don't know yeah (laughs) something to pay attention to yeah something to pay attention to exactly I'm curious to see where that goes for you yeah I think that's what art is often it's like identifying Mm -hmm. something that you feel like you should pay attention to and then just seeing where that goes and giving it the space to yeah to uh develop um and and that's why we can't, you know, when we're in that like productivity mode, <laughs> then you're not yes. giving it the space that it needs to like develop and evolve. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for speaking with me. This has been lovely. Yeah, thank you so much. I love conversations like this. I think it's important to have them. I think so too. Can you just quickly share where people can find your work? Sure. Um, so all of my handles are basically my name. So um, my website is anabronis.com. Um, I'm on Instagram too at Anna Bronis. Um, and then on my website, I've got all my books. Um, you can access the whole women's wisdom project there. You can see all of the, all the illustrations and portraits. Um, Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do you think you'll ever turn that into a book or is it more of an online living thing? <laughs> that's a lot. It's, it's like a longer, more boring story. I mean, okay, yes, I would, fine. yes, I'm just curious. <laughs> yes, I would like to currently there are no plans to, do that but yes I would like to okay mm-hmm. yes. so in Morocco they always say inshallah god willing inshallah so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 exactly. exactly perfect well thank you so much this has been amazing yeah thank you Ruby appreciate it for links to connect with Anna and see more of her work head over to the show notes at rubyjosephine.com under the podcast tab you can also follow this podcast on Instagram or Facebook at Process Peace and get these episodes delivered directly to your inbox along with a whole lot of extra inspiration by subscribing to my newsletter, The Sunday Pancake, Letters in Reverence of Creative Rituals. Head over to rubyjosephine.com slash subscribe. If you've been enjoying Process Peace, I would so appreciate you choosing to support this podcast in any or all of three ways. One, by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Two, share your favorite episode with a friend or on social media. And three, make a contribution at buymeacoffee.com slash rubyjoe. Thanks again to Anna for sharing this wonderful conversation with me. A thanks to Cooper Lee Smith for creating the original music for this podcast. And a special thanks, as always, to you for listening. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.